you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Sarah, thanks. Welcome to Halftime. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the start of Apple's annual shareholders meeting. What it, what it means for the stock, unable to get anything going lately. We will debate what lies ahead for those shares we also have some new committee moves to discuss. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Kerry Firestone, Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss. Check the markets today. We've got the Dow down. S&P's a fractional loser. NASDAQ's in the red as well. We are focused on Apple, though, because of all the talk we've done about the mega caps and the AI trade, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, Joe, Apple's six-month performance is a, is a nothing burger. It's up 1.5%. I don't expect anything to happen at the shareholders' meeting today to be any catalyst for that. What's wrong with this stock? I think what we need is in June at the WWDC to hear about the AI innovation. And you, you had a little bit of a glimpse into it yesterday. And why is it so particularly relevant? Because in the last six months, the perception of the marketplace is that Apple is not innovating quickly enough in that direction and certainly has not laid out what the strategy and the plan is for AI. If you think back to 2014, okay, go back to 2014. In May of 2014, we began to hear the rumors that Apple was finally going to deliver something similar to the Android in terms of the size of the iPhone increasing. So what did we get in September? You had the announcement where you had the iPhone 6 Plus, 5.5 inches. That was the most successful iPhone ever to sell. And I will tell you this, at WWDC in June, if Apple is able to confidently communicate to its investor base how we're going to incorporate AI into the iPhone 16, the iPhone 16 will sell beyond the iPhone 6 Plus, and it will be the most significant innovation that Apple has introduced, and it will absolutely restart the momentum in the okay, stock. Okay, but you're telling Kerry, who also owns the stock, that so a stock that's been you know, dead money for the last six months is going to be dead money until the summer? In June, that's the earliest that you're going to be able to get that information from Apple if they're going to be able to deliver on incorporating AI into the iPhone 16. Yeah, well, June isn't that long from here. But I, I would uh, I mean, say if you wait, I guess if you, you waited know, six months, why not wait nine? Okay. Well, <laughs> for now it's three. But basically, we, we've had a year for Apple. It was a very good stock last year. It's the largest cap. We're underweight the name. It is not it was the largest what, cap. Now it's not. Correct. Microsoft is, it was, right? It was, that, yeah. And that's that speaks right. to what we're talking about. And that's about AI. Right? Whoever thought that was gonna happen? Did you ever I think did. that was gonna I happen? Did. I mean I, I, did. I, I think it's you not, thought it's that not. Microsoft was gonna get a larger market cap than Apple? I think uh, why I think not? a lot of people People did. It used I don't to know. have. It used to have a large well, market app, and then it, it lost it. Used it to and have. now it got. Well, but things change, and it, this with the changes, the AI train, and and Apple has not been as much on that uh, caboose line as uh, as other companies in that top 
in, in that top tier. And what we're seeing right now clearly is that the four that are, which is NVIDIA, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, and Meta have moved the market so far this year. They represent 50% of the gain in the S&P. We've got a chart to show that. And you see the concentration of the S&P is that these names, and of course NVIDIA is now 30% of the S&P gains, have, have really driven it. Apple is not, is not that, uh, there yet. Does that mean it won't be? It might be. They have to prove that they can do something that's innovative. Right now, it's a 30 multiple stock with high single digit earning growth. Well, I'll tell and, you what, we used to say, Jenny, that this dispels one thing. We used to say, well, as Apple goes, so goes the market. We are right. proving ourselves now that not only can the market go up, the, the NASDAQ can approach an all-time high without participation from what was once the largest stock in the market. That was debated. That right. was questioned. That was doubted for a good period of time. Right, and it's because leadership changes. So Apple's been flat for three years. And it's funny, I was thinking the other day, so I've been on the show for about five and a half years. For the first two years, it was all Tesla, right? Then it was all Apple. And then Apple's really been fading in favor of like all NVIDIA. But the point of that is we've seen leadership change. And we've seen it change quite dramatically even over the last five years. So Kerry was saying just now that, that their earnings growth is expected to be at 7%. And so Scott, when you say what's wrong with this stock, I think it's a really easy answer. What's wrong with the stock is that over the past three years, the CAGR of revenue growth has been 2% and the CAGR of earnings growth has been 5%. And with a 27 times multiple, that is simply not good enough. And so, Joe, I think you're wrong. I don't think that it needs to be them saying like, oh, we're going to put AI in the, um, in the next iPhone. I think they need to say, we need to put AI in the next iPhone. And very specifically, we expect sales to be, you know, whatever the numbers are. The sales will come. You know what? I don't think you're right. I don't think they'll come in in a significant enough way to justify the 27 times multiple. That's the thing. So it has right to now, right? So we're talking right about, now, we're talking about, you know, sales are, are of course, they're going to be strong because they have such a strong um, base, installed base. The word I was thinking of, but, installed base. But you know, at Jenny's point, at 27 times, good, good is not good enough. No, no they, he, wait, the sales really have to, to be something. historic, and I believe they could but be. But here's the thing. Right now, analysts are expecting 7% earnings growth for the mm -hmm. year ahead. That's entirely driven by share buyback, right? It, it, so even right now, like there's just nothing in there that's compelling. So I don't even know, Joe, how well, they I would get. That's well, a little bit over the top from somebody who doesn't own the stock. I mean, you well, can justify why you don't Well, there's a reason I don't, don't own the own. stock. Well, I mean, that, but that's insinuating that, well, you know, by not owning it for the past, you know, five years, you've done just great. Now, well, Apple I would say has I've done, done just, just great. fine. Okay. Okay, but we've owned Apple's Meta. Apple's done just fine. We've owned United over the past three years. Apple's done nothing. Three years ago, well, no, okay, I'm exaggerating. Two and a half years ago, October 2021, <laughs> Apple was trading at $180. You're, you're talking like you're talking about Apple stock year. as it if did. it's some big dog it in the market for it's years. A, you it you said it. It's it a nothing isn't. hamburger. But I think six months it hasn't done anything. I think we're just six months, not six years. We're dismissing the potential. for two and a half years it's done nothing. Okay, but you're looking in the past, and I agree with you. It's done nothing. I understand that. But I'm looking forward, too, to where analysts say 7% earnings growth driven by share buybacks. Like, eh, can't you do better? Yesterday was a, a very significant announcement. And for people to believe that Apple has not been working on incorporating artificial intelligence into the iPhone, that premise is just so misguided. Now they're pushing all their chips in one direction. 
and acknowledging the potential opportunity. If you're able to incorporate artificial intelligence into these phones, which we're all using, that we, this is the most valuable thing in essence that we're carrying around with well, us. That's obviously that will be going, a historic on, moment. Hold hey, on, Scott. Hold on. Yeah, Weiss, please. I was gonna, trying to come to you anyway. Yeah. Yeah, well, thanks for coming <laughs> to me to be the voice of reason and settle this debate. Hey, uh, wait. Look, yeah, Apple, is just, <laughs> Apple, Apple is just a, it's a tired stock. I mean, it has always lagged innovation, and I know you've picked on me for that before, but it's true. They've been in the post-Steve Jobs era, they've been a follower instead of a leader, and the market is just not willing to pay for that anymore. So I do think the multiple compresses, the growth hasn't been there for years. So you keep waiting for a phone refresh cycle, and those refresh cycles have been more and more disappointing because all they've done is increase the zoom feature on the camera. And Joe talks about AI. Well, you know, I'd ask, what is the business use case? What's the use case for AI in the phone? And is it going to be them leading or following? I suspect it's going to be them following again. So right now, we don't even know what the use cases are for AI other than at the highest level, other than searching for, you know, for books or, or answers to questions in, uh, you know, with Microsoft, with ChatGPT. So what I'd say is it, nobody was focused on the car. It's been 10 years in the making, and it shows to me that the Apple brand has atrophied a little bit. And I know it's going to be controversial because if you go back 15 years ago, Every auto company would have been jumping in to say, let us white label a car for you because you're so powerful. But they've been unable to get anybody to do it. Keep in mind, they're not a capital intensive company. They push all their manufacturing out to somebody else, whether Foxconn, whatever. And that's a great model being asset light. But they couldn't yeah. find anybody to assume that CapEx burn. I don't. I, so, I, don't yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think the this this lack of being a first mover matters when it comes to a company that maybe hasn't done it first, but they've done it better. And they have such a large installed base that none of that has really mattered. COVID upset the upgrade cycle. I think that's a, a fair assessment. Great point. Um, China has been an issue. I think that's hurt the, the stock. Services growth has obviously, the growth rate has slowed. Steve Kovac covers this company, obviously, closer than anybody. He joins us now, our, our tech correspondent. What is the problem with this stock in your estimation? Why hasn't it done anything in, in, in six months minimum? Yeah, let's talk a little bit, uh, Scott, about we're talking so much about AI and innovation and whether Apple's innovating and so forth. Let's put that discussion to the side for a little bit and talk about some of the geopolitical things happening right now that are impacting uh, the core business today. Next week, Scott, the Digital Markets Act in the EU will go into full effect, forcing Apple to allow other apps to uh, other app stores rather onto the phone. We saw their idea for how they plan to comply with this law, but that is going to put pressure on services. Also, yesterday we had that headline that uh, Apple met with the DOJ for the so-called last rights meeting before uh, the Department of Justice files that antitrust suit that we know is coming for Apple. That is another headwind heading towards them. And also, we know any day now we're expecting the EU to fine Apple. 500 million euro um, after Spotify complained about the practices with Apple Music. We already know what Apple thinks about that. 
there's there's this huge fight going on between Apple and its developer base, too. So we could talk about AI and whether or not that's going to drive iPhone sales and things like that. I would also point to 5G was a big catalyst, though, for the iPhone just a couple years ago. This could be the same thing, even if it's all just marketing. But we also got to talk about what's happening today with the core businesses and those headwinds are facing. And oh, by the way, this current March quarter, iPhone sales, they said could be down $5 billion. And that that's that's not nothing. The, the smartphone demand picture still has not recovered for Apple uh, just overall. Do, do you get the feel that whatever happens regarding AI uh, allegedly at WWDC is, is going to be the savior, so to speak, that investors are, are looking for to jumpstart activity in the stock again? I'm looking, Scott, uh, to what some of the competitors have already announced. Samsung had their AI phone last month. Uh, We're seeing out of Mobile World Congress in Barcelona right now, a bunch of uh, smartphone brands talk up their AI uh, capabilities. It's a lot of the same stuff that we've seen from smartphones for the last several years. The AI is happening in the iPhone right now, today. Every time you take a photo with your iPhone, there is AI happening. Every time you use your Apple Watch for a workout or that fall detection feature, there is AI happening there. It's just not talked about in the same way. So if we do start hearing more about these generative AI features for the iPhone and things like that, you can consider that almost uh, more marketing than actual some kind of uh, whiz-bang brand new feature because it's just building on what Apple and its competitors have been doing in the smartphone space all along. It's just going to be calling it something different. Let's go back to that 5G example just a few years ago. Bringing 5G to the iPhone was a huge moment and spurred a lot of sales, but it didn't really change fundamentally the way you use your iPhone. It, maybe the speeds are a little faster, but it didn't usher in this like new reality of innovation that Uh, the carriers and Apple might have had you believe. I can see that happening here, too, just saying, look, we're going to have all these new AI features on there, but we're just branding it as such uh, differently this time. Maybe that gets people excited to buy the phones again, like Joe said, or maybe people just kind of shrug it off and say, I can already do that. It's the same phone as last year, just Mm -hmm. a faster processor. We'll have to see what they announce. Yeah, it'll be a big question. Uh, And uh, we will see, I suppose. Steve, thank you. Thanks. Thanks for putting it into perspective for us. Steve Kovac. Um, I'll give you the last word before we move. It's very thoughtful what Steve just said, and I agree with all of it. I said in June, they're going to have to deliver on what the AI strategy is. In the last several months, I've been critical of them for not being able to effectively communicate some form of an AI strategy. If they're able to step forth in June and do that, you could expect that sales will increase significantly potentially rivaling what we did with the iPhone 6. If they fail in that effort, then it's nothing more than what Jenny, Steve, and Carrie are identifying, a stock that's really moving nowhere and kind of stuck in a sideways pattern. It is stuck sideways for two years. You look five years, though, the the bears on it have gotten run over. Um, Okay, since we're talking about AI, and we we seemingly have to all all the time. So Alphabet's been a big topic this week. Obviously, their, their rollout of their product uh, was a bit of a flop, I I suppose you could say. Sundar Pichai, the CEO, he sends a letter to employees late yesterday calling completely unacceptable the errors by the Gemini AI app. Carrie, you own Alphabet. There's a lot of conversation over the last few days. Brad Gerstner, right, who's a big critic of it, has tweeted, maybe Sundar, great human being, but maybe he's not the guy to lead this company in the next frontier of where everything's going. Yeah, well, it's not clear how to, how to judge him specifically right now. What we know is that Apple is in a position, because of their dominance in search, to have a major 
impact and product on search using AI. There is no reason that they can't do that, and they've worked on this for 10 years. Botching uh, an introductory problem a product is is uh, not what you want right now when all the world is watching you. So they botched it. Can they recover? Yes, they can recover. Uh, what we, makes we you so sure? What makes you so sure? Well, you, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Why do you give them the benefit of the doubt? It's easy just to sit there and say, well, they, of course they can recover. No, no, I'll they're, tell you they're why. alphabet. I'll tell you why. Because they've been so profitable for the past decade that they have spent billions and billions on R&D, much of it going well, they've had, into artificial they've had intelligence. They haven't been profitable because of spending the money on, no, on artificial intelligence. They've, they've been profitable because of, they have this moat of search. That. Well, that moat isn't changing. You know, AI That's can change some of it. Question. Well, I understand that. But there are different ways you can use AI. One of them is in search, but another is to ask it to solve a problem, to ask it to write text, to ask it to create reports. That's different from search. I'm not saying that this is easy to do, but let's not dismiss uh, Google right now. It's also a relatively cheap stock. Weiss, 20 times forward earnings. Weiss, how do you want to view Alphabet here? Well, look, I would say you're being kind in characterizing the rollout as a disappointment. It was a complete bust and it was negative. I mean, it was actually negative on the stock we saw in the share price. But, uh, you know, the, the great thing about Google is that they've got enough money to throw at any problem to fix it. So to me, this is a temporary setback. It's unforgivable and some heads should roll on it. I don't know if the CEO's head should be one of those, but you would think with the world's eyes on AI, is there any launch that's more important to take some of the thunder away from Microsoft and ChatGPT than rolling out Bard, or as they change the name, to, uh, to Genesis, so, or Gemini, Gemini, whatever it is. But that's a bust in itself, Gemini. So I'd say that they blew it, but it's only temporary. So it's just a setback in right. what is one of the world's best businesses. So that's why I'm still there. Haven't added yet. I'm not sure there's a floor in the stock just yet. Maybe after PCE, I will add, but uh, it's, it's a decent sized position. Okay. So I'm not worried about it the at all. The other moves I want to get to, Carrie, uh, you trimmed Meta. Mm -hmm. Why should you trim Meta too? But I want to hear from Carrie first on, on why you trimmed yep. Meta. Well, it was a portfolio decision. Uh, it had been a great stock. It was our largest position when we trimmed it. It had really grown. Uh, we had uh, a big position during the sort of weakness of 2022. It got to a level that was just unbelievably cheap. And um, and as the world came to Meta, it's pushed the, the price higher and higher. And we still believe there's a lot of growth. We believe in the company. We just didn't want it to be as large a position. And that's why we trimmed it. You trimmed Adobe. Yeah. As well. Okay. So Adobe is slightly different. Again, we bought Adobe several times during the last year and a half when it was really, you know, on its butt and it proved to be an, a really strong stock. However, um, portfolio management decision plus, we understand that there are issues about AI being the text to video format and what competition might come their way. Uh, we don't know about that uh, specifically, but it adds risk. And you added to Paycom. Yeah. So we bought Paycom after it was down 45% because they have an introductory product. They've sort of uh, botched it there in the payroll business and human capital management. Uh, we think the stock's very, very cheap based on its growth rate, which we believe is coming back to them. Can we also discuss, just get away from this for a minute, and, and look at the broadening of the market, which I don't know that I'd say it, it's gone unnoticed, but it, 
feels like, Jenny, it hasn't gotten the respect that it deserves, particularly over the last month. Like, look at this. We 18, 19 minutes. We we're spending a lot of time talking about. Well, it's because <laughs> Apple is a is a hot topic, and obviously, what's been happening with Alphabet and these other moves that we had to get to with Carrie. But in last month, over the last month, discretionary is up seven percent. Industrials are up six. Materials are up five. Financials and healthcare four and a half, respectively. And tech's only up three. We need to pay more attention to what's happening broadly in this market, don't we? I, th I think we do. And I think part of the problem is that generally the companies that have been performing and leading those industries up, they're not exciting. They're not, they're not that interesting. Really? You know, one I mean, of them Ralph Lauren's up 26%. It's not exciting. Chipotle's up 14. Okay. Quant is up 21. I, I think Lily's up 18. GE Healthcare's up 27. Discover's up 15. Of course, part of a deal. Wells Fargo up nine and a half. You're right. I think about our portfolio, so I think of things like United Rentals, right? which is, it's just a rental company. But you're right, those are exciting names, and we should be talking about it more. And the conversation is, I think the conversation is broadening out. One of the things that both has surprised me about this year, well, really surprised me about this year, is there is still a lot of divergence between the S&P 500 and value, between the S&P and Russell 2000, or Russell, 3, yeah, Russell 2000. So there's still a lot of divergence there, but it's much narrower than it was at this point last year. And so I think it's easy, you know, it's easy for us to get stuck in the flashies of the NVIDIAs and of the Apples, but you're exactly right. Like we should be talking about Ralph Lauren and we should be talking about Chipotle. Tapestry's up 22%, GM's up 15%. And you know what? Ford have up 17. Again, these are Vulcan yeah. up 19. These are only in the last month. And you know what I did this morning? I have a client who's been sitting on cash. And on the train in this morning, I said, today's the day. And in the dividend income strategy, I put half that cash, it's a large cash position, and I put half that cash to work today. And the client's been pestering me since the beginning of the year. When are you gonna pull the trigger? When are you gonna pull where'd the trigger? You, where'd you put it to work? Um, pretty much across the board. So B&G Foods, Arda, um, Flex LNG, Starbulk, Easterly, all the usuals, Postal Realty, like everything in the dividend portfolio. Why was today the day? Today was the day because I looked at the portfolio this morning and it's so, okay, I need to speak broadly. Dividend stocks are so significantly behind the S&P 500, and it just doesn't make sense. And when you look out there and you look at small cap, right, we can talk about small cap, mid cap, dividends, all of those valuations are way lower than their historical average, way lower than their, historic, their own historical averages, way lower than the relative averages. And so my theme this year, as I've been talking to clients and thinking about like where to put cash, my theme, which none of you guys are going to love, is do you know you can put it in anything but the top ten from here. The top ten have worked to this point this year, but from here going forward, yeah. you look out across the across the landscape, and you're right. It's broadening, and the values are crazy. I'll tell you what, our, our, our viewers will love it. Our, our viewers will love it if they can make money from it. Yeah, that's what they're trying <laughs> to do. Uh, whether it's in <laughs> Nvidia or Vulcan Materials or whatever. This idea of this is a broader market than, than people want to give it credit for. Yeah, I, I think at a certain point, and we might be at the initial stages of it, and it's probably more cyclical than secular, but there has to be an AI halo fatigue moment. And, and it's just because positioning and sentiment got so stretched, overwhelmingly bullish. I think the larger question and, and where you feel kind of confident about the overall structure of the market is the buy the dip mentality was in place this morning. And the buy the dip mentality this morning was financials, industrials, real estate, energy, materials. So if you have that AI, uh, AI halo fatigue effect, is it more of a rotational 
element within the market. I think the early signs are indicating that, yes, that's what's going to actually unfold. Well, Wolf Research says time for a reversal, question mark. If we're right that we're in the ninth inning of this blow-off top in momentum, the wildly consensus and admittedly successful trade of long queues and short IWM, small caps, might be due for a little reversal. So maybe we are going to finally get a little more momentum because, by the way, the Russell is also up three and a half percent or so in the last month. Mm -hmm. That matches what the S&P has done virtually tick by tick. It's just, you know, not you you were getting that reversal. Yeah, we are. Well, we have to see if it's lasting. That's going to be the key question. But my point is, is that uh, I think that that reversal would have lasted but for NVIDIA coming to save the day. We were clearly on, a, you know, in a correction mode, and then you know, Nvidia comes along and it just reignites the market. So the big player is going to be none of the companies you mentioned, but PCE tomorrow, and then the Fed meeting. So if you continue to push out the first cut in rates, I think you'll see the market give up some of the momentum that it's had, okay. and that's really what the story is about. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we have a setup on Salesforce because the earnings are coming out in overtime. Carrie and Joe are in that name. We'll get their takes ahead of the print. We have trades on United Health and Applied Materials and Bitcoin. I know you've seen what Bitcoin's doing. It's above 60K. It's above 63K. We're back after this. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Here's some committee stocks to watch. We're going to start with that one right there. United Health shares down 4%. Justice launching an antitrust investigation, according to reports. Carrie Firestone, you own the stock. Yeah, we own the stock. And look, healthcare is a sector of the market that administrations want to go after, whether it's this administration or a Republican administration. There's a lot of money in the system that we spend and their targets. Now, we know that what happened with the drug companies is that there's now caps on certain number of, of drugs that are were considered high priced and they've lowered those prices but not very many drugs and not to the level that I think that regulators were hoping. What's happening with UNH? Again, they're on both the insurance side and the provider side. That's a target. They're the largest in the business and we would expect this to continue 
for the next year or so. Does that mean the stock has more risk? Yeah, it definitely does. And does it mean that investors have to think differently about why they own UNH? I suspect that's true. And maybe the stock can't move beyond this for the time being. Well, what about the investor who's speaking right now? Yeah. So it's something that we have to look at carefully. I mean, this was, (laughs) this is not, (laughs) it's potentially a stock that might not have the size in our portfolio. I mean, that's what I can say that, that it has. It's been a very good stock. It's also been a defensive name over the last few years, but it's a little bit of a game changer. Okay. If if we read through all of the uh, data. I think we finally got to a place I'm comfortable with. It took a little bit, but we're, I, think, I, think we're, I think we're there. I think we're there. Salesforce, earnings and overtime. Sometimes you got to pull it out. You know? No, you have to pull it out. Well, carry price target, Goldman Sachs, reiterated by price target 345. Uh, earnings in OT. This is fa- I've said this for the last week. This earnings report is very fascinating to me for a variety of different reasons. Again, AI halo effect. Is there fatigue there or not? There's also this technical element where the stock is trying to overcome, overtake rather its November of 2021 mm-hmm. high at 311 and it hasn't gotten there. So if you get a bad earnings report, now you have this nasty setup where you have this double top that's in place. The option market is implying a, a larger move than on average. Generally, the stock moves about 6% post-earnings. Yeah. Options are saying this stock is going to move 8%. So there needs to be more of a story here than the cost efficiency right. and the margin approve, improvement over the last six quarters. It has to be, well, our MuleSoft acquisition is really benefiting us in mm-hmm. the AI integration. There's got to be something more compelling because I think there's a lot of good news priced in here. Yeah. A lot of good news yeah, I, I would priced say in? It's, it's, How high is the bar here? Oh, I think the stock can can go up 15 percent, but it's all going to be about whether sales are growing. If sales are not growing more than 10 percent or the implication over the next few quarters is below that, I think that's a problem. Okay, Um, Benioff, I think, is on with Kramer tonight. If not, I think it's tonight on Mad Money. Um, Applied Materials, they get a subpoena from the SEC. You own that. Yeah, I mean, look, this this certainly matters because this is the the largest U.S. semi-equipment supplier. Um, Stock's down about 3% on this news. Um, Listen, whether it's Lam Research or KLA Corp, they are so critically important in chip fabrication machinery, and these stocks have performed remarkably well. Positioning, sentiment, again, extended, stretched. These are quality companies with great balance sheets, but if this lingers in the headlines for applied materials, you're probably going to expect, at best, that the stock runs in place. At worst, you've got yourself a correction. Hey, Weiss, you, you still own some Bitcoin, I think, as we take a look here. Uh, so we're the highest levels since November of 21. We're over 63K the yep. last we looked. As we were heading to break, I think we had it on one of our boards. If, can we take a, a look at that, folks, please, right now? There we go. Thank you. Uh, okay, it's above 61. So what's your view here? To me, Joe and I were talking about this earlier. To me, this is just an indication of risk on in the market. N- nothing else. You see these hands? These are diamond hands, Scott. They're <laughs> diamond hands. So if you take a look at Bitcoin, it's been the best performing asset out there since February 9th when I re-entered the position. It's up 33 percent. That's just astounding. So to me, this is really just, you know, you've got these major marketing machines. I apologize, but I'm going to go down to Washington, D.C. The uh, Mitch McConnell is speaking right now. Let's listen. There's a certain introspection that accompanies 
the grieving process. Perhaps it is God's way of reminding you of your own life's journey to reprioritize the impact of the world that we will all inevitably leave behind. I turned 82 last week. <clears throat> the end of my contributions are closer than I'd prefer. My career in the United States Senate began amidst the Reagan Revolution. The truth is, when I got here, I was just happy if anybody remembered my name. President Reagan called me Mitch O'Donnell. Close enough, I thought. My life, my wife Elaine and I got married on President Reagan's birthday, February 6th. It's probably not the most romantic thing to admit, but Reagan meant a lot to both of us. For 31 years, Elaine has been the love of my life, and I'm eternally grateful to have her by my side. I think back to my first days in the Senate with deep appreciation for the time that helped shape my view of the world. I'm unconflicted about the good within our country and the irreplaceable role we play as the leader of the free world. It's why I worked so hard to get the national security package passed earlier this month. Believe me, I know the politics within my party at this particular moment in time. I have many faults. Misunderstanding politics is not one of them. That said, I believe more strongly than ever that America's global leadership is essential to preserving the shining city on a hill that Ronald Reagan discussed. As long as I'm drawing breath on this earth, I will defend American exceptionalism. So as I've been thinking about when I would deliver some news to the Senate, I always imagined a moment when I had total clarity and peace about the sunset of my work. A moment when I'm certain I have helped preserve the ideals I so strongly believe. That day arrived today. My goals when I was narrowly elected to the Senate back in 1984 were fairly modest do a good job for the people of Kentucky, and convince them that by doing so, they might rehire me for a second term. That was it. That was the plan. If you would have told me 40 years later that I would stand before you as the longest serving Senate leader in American history, frankly, I would have thought you'd lost your mind. I have the honor of representing Kentucky in the Senate longer than anyone else in our state's history. I just never could have imagined, never could have imagined that happening when I arrived here in 1984 at 42. I'm filled 
with heartfelt gratitude and humility for the opportunity. But now it's 2024. I'm now 82. As Ecclesiastes tells us, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. To serve Kentucky in the Senate has been the honor of my life. To lead my Republican colleagues has been the highest privilege. But one of life's most underappreciated talents is to know when it's time to move on to life's next chapter. So I stand before you today, Mr. President, and my colleagues to say this will be my last term as Republican leader of the Senate. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. However, I'll complete my job my colleagues have given me until we select a new leader in November and they take the helm next January. I'll finish the job the people of Kentucky hired me to do as well, albeit from a different seat. And I'm actually looking forward to that. So it's time for me to think about another season. I love the Senate, it's been my life. There may be more distinguished members of this body throughout our history, but I doubt there were any with any more admiration for the Senate. After all this time, I still got a thrill walking into the Capitol, and especially on this venerable floor, knowing that we, each of us, have the honor to represent our states and do the important work of our country. But Father Time remains undefeated. I'm no longer the young man sitting in the back hoping colleagues would remember my name. It's time for the next generation of leadership. As Henry Clay said in this very body in 1850, the Constitution of the United States was not made merely for the generation that then existed but for posterity, unlimited, undefined, endless, perpetual posterity. So time rolls on. There'll be a new custodian of this great institution next year. Won't surprise you to know I intend to turn this job over to a Republican majority leader. I have full confidence. In that is the Republican leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell. Uh, his voice obviously filled with some emotion as he announces that he will step down from that post uh, come November. Been there since 1985 in the Senate, turning 82 years old last week. Uh, a significant uh, figure, of course, in, in that body over that period of time. Emily Wilkins is down in Washington for us. You can hear the emotion in uh, Mr. McConnell's voice. 
Absolutely. I mean, this is a really historic moment when you consider the fact that McConnell has been the longest serving Senate leader. I mean, just the amount of time that he's had, uh, the amount of power that he's held. Although, of course, this has come as McConnell has dealt with health issues. He had moments where he froze, uh, seemed to forget where he was. Uh, then, of course, there are also concerns about McConnell and former president and maybe soon to be president again, Trump. Uh, the two of them have had disagreements in the past. There's always been a bit of a question as to how the relationship has functioned. And what we're hearing now from Mitch McConnell is that he's going to step back from leadership. He's not going to be the leader anymore, but he still will be in the Senate. He does plan to serve out the rest of his term, uh, which ends in 2027. And now, of course, the floor opens up to see which Republican leader might take his place and whether that's going to be someone who's going to be more aligned uh, with Donald Trump and his wing of the Republican Party. Be significant palace intrigue for sure. Uh, Emily Wilkins, thank you, uh, as we'll take it back here. I want to go to Steve Kovac as well. We mentioned at the top of our program that Apple, Apple was holding its shareholder meeting. We are getting some uh, items out of that, Steve. Uh, Tim Cook talking about AI a bit. What do we know? Yeah, of course. Uh, Tim Cook uh, basically repeating what he said, Scott, on the earnings call a couple weeks ago, that teasing that AI announcement that uh, we've been talking about all day here. Uh, but no, no further details in that other than it's coming and it's related to generative AI. But speaking of AI, um, one of the uh, independent proposals, by the way, all five independent proposals were voted down by shareholders, but one in particular, this comes from the AFL-CI equity index funds, and it's about AI transparency, basically asking Apple to put out a transparency report, um, how they uh, tackle ethics and in artificial intelligence products they're working on. Apple uh, had recommended that shareholders reject this proposal, which they did, basically saying they have these ethical guidelines in place and that the request was uh, overly broad and could uh, put out some information uh, about uh, products they don't want to announce quite yet if they had to do a report like this. Uh, so that one did get knocked down. But again, Tim Cook uh, teasing that big AI announcement um, that uh, we're expecting to likely happen at WWDC this June, Scott. All right, Steve, appreciate sure that. Thing. Thanks for coming back on with that. That's Steve Kovac. More trades ahead. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. I'm Courtney Reagan with your headlines. President Biden will sign an executive order today to protect personal data of American citizens from hostile countries. The order targets data brokers who collect and trade data to countries that have a record of, quote, collecting and misusing data on Americans. And it focuses on sensitive information, such as biometrics and financial data. About a quarter of Gaza's population, over 500,000 people, are a step away from famine as aid trucks are being looted in a sign of civil disorder. That's according to top U.N. officials. The World Food Program executive director also said northern Gaza has some of the worst cases of child malnutrition, with one in six children under two suffering from acute malnutrition and wasting. 
And Red Bull's F1 team principal Christian Horner is cleared to continue his position after it announced that a complaint against him was dismissed after an investigation. Though it's unclear what the allegations were or who had made them, the news comes as the team prepares for the first race of the season this weekend. Scott, back to you. All right, Court, thanks a lot. Let's uh, do some calls of our uh, calls of the day. Uh, CrowdStrike, price target raised to 385 from 300 at UBS. Joe. Stock fell to 273 on the wake of Palo Alto's earnings report. You've had a very uh, sharp snapback, had a sharp snapback in the case of Palo Alto as well. I'm more confident that CrowdStrike will be able to absorb uh, a lot of the demand concerns that Palo Alto reiterated. I don't see that same story unfolding next week when CrowdStrike reports. You want to talk about Apollo, which was upgraded at JP Morgan to overweight, Target 122. This is this is a name that, that's been in the strategy now for the better part of the last year, so we've enjoyed a very strong performance. And this is really driven by the investor desire to be in private credit, to be in alternative investments, and Apollo is leading in all those efforts. Bernstein has a note today wondering whether online travel agencies are approaching a, quote, speed bump. The booking holdings target is raised, though, to $3,636. Carrie, you want to take that? You own that. Well, that's a strange call. They don't love the space, but they raise the target. Uh, well, we like this stock, and it's been a very strong stock this year. So they reported in decent quarter, and the market took an opportunity to, to sell some shares. Uh, we think that there's a strong uh, tailwind behind them because people continue to travel. It's not as if people have stopped traveling, and online booking is the way to go, no pun intended. So we still think at this price, which is 19 times next year's earnings, and they bought back 9% of their stock over the last eight quarters, which they'll continue to do. We continue to like it. You have Expedia, right? Well, the Joe T ETF had all three of these. We sold out of booking holdings, still have Airbnb and Expedia. Comps are a little bit difficult for these three names. Technically, though, they're pulling back into the support of moving averages. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Mike Santoli and his midday word. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli is with us now for his midday word. We're just going to wait for PCE. I mean, obviously, that, that's front and center for tomorrow. Yeah. That's what the main indexes seem to be doing. They've been doing it since last Friday, really, since the open after the, the NVIDIA pop. Um, still haven't really gotten clear of some of these kind of big target levels on a lot of the indexes, the S&P and NASDAQ 100, that people might have been thinking could be the top end of a range. So I think that's still a, an open question as to whether that happens. But we were talking yesterday by the close, Scott, that it's been kind of calm and somewhat slow at the core of the market and all the excitements at the fringes. So it's all crypto, it's biotech, it's, you know, busted old speculative names and penny stocks. So you have to be mindful of that type of kind of unstable order flow that mm. kind of runs through this market, yeah. what it says about sentiment. Yeah, a little bit of speculative yeah. fervor. In, in those areas, sure. Bit, Bitcoin, biotech. We'll keep our eye. We'll talk yep. later on Closing Bell. Mike Santoli up next. Two big winners and two big losers. We're back after this.
right, let's talk about two big winners and two big losers. eBay, well, that's a winner, earning, earnings and guidance topping estimates. How about B&G Foods, BGS? That's yours, uh, Jenny. They surging, uh, they're surging after beating uh, earnings estimates, isn't it, isn't which it you own, right? Yeah, Not a big fun. market cap, but nonetheless, you talk about it yeah. on the show, so talk and about it now. It's fun when something can be both a total loser and a total winner, right? So I've owned this forever. My cost basis is $14 a share. I've held it through thick and thin because the dividend's been really hefty. And it's one where I've just let it kind of be a bond-like equivalent in the portfolio and ridden the ups and downs collecting that dividend. It was an interesting earnings quarter. They beat on everything. They beat on earnings, revenues, better margins, stabilized values, brought down leverage, confirmed the dividend. It was frankly the best earnings call I've heard out of this company in a really long time. There's a relatively new CEO, Casey Keller, who came in in 2021. And this is the call, I think this is the quarter where he's really turning things around and things could improve from here. Well, big day, up 20%. Uh, final trades are next. We got a jam-packed closing bell at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, Morgan Stanley, Private Wealth, Chris Toomey, Anker Crawford as well. I hope you'll join me then. Final trades are up. Weiss, what do you have for us? Volatility is fairly inexpensive, and there's some events, particularly PCE, tomorrow. So I bought some puts on the, uh, on the queues just to protect the portfolio. Okay, Jenny. Flex LNG, I just bumped it from 2 to 2.5% two of the portfolio, 12% dividend yield. All righty, thank you. Carrie Firestone. Uh, WapTech, it's industrial rail cars, rapid transit. We think industrials are going to keep moving. Okay, Joseph Terranova. If you are long Alphabet, only if you are long, buy some puts, technically breaking down. They're late on AI, and when you're late, you make mistakes. All right, good stuff. I'll see you in a couple hours on Closing Bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.